Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to Star Talk. Your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Hello, Seattle. Welcome to a very fun thing. It is my great pleasure to bring out the incredible. Neil Tyson! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have some other wonderful guests. I'd like to bring out Paul F. Tompkins! <laughs> Kristen Scholl! Eugene, we have an We have seat. one more seat. Let's try to fill it with somebody. Join me in giving a warm Seattle welcome for the one, the only, Will Wheaton from Star Trek! (laughs) (laughs) So, the subject of this evening will be the geek mecca. And we're just trying to understand the geekiverse. Here we are in Seattle, home of Microsoft, the head of which is the patron saint of all geeks, Bill Gates. And I have a quick Bill Gates story, if I may. Is he here tonight? You better check. <laughs> Where is he? Is he in a special box? I- I'm betting not. I did this calculation. If you want to know how rich Bill Gates is, <laughs> and I asked myself, what is the smallest denomination coin I'll bend over and pick up in the street? That's a measure of your wealth, right, I think? So I make enough money, I'm not picking up the pennies or nickels anymore. It's a measure of your wealth or your superstition. 
Okay. Well, see, if you're a child of the 80s, you pick up a quarter every time you see it because video games. Yeah, not only that, a quarter is like for laundry and for like car parking meters. So I pick I, up socks if I think no one's worn them. <laughs> so I pick up quarters. Sometimes I don't pick up dimes if I'm in a hurry. So I'm in between a dime and a quarter. So now you ratio that of my income to what that might be for Bill Gates, it's $45,000. <laughs> So, if he finds $45,000 in the street, up too busy, gotta walk past it, make decisions at Microsoft. So, I'm gonna do a Kickstarter, and it's just for, to fund me following Bill Gates around to pick up the money he leaves on the ground. <laughs> what if it's all in ones, so it looks like way more money? Yeah, that's... Uh, I don't know if he's got Rain Man-like abilities where he can instantly <laughs> count... A pile of bills on the street. He probably has some kind of talent such as that. So I got one of the geek saints right here to my right. You took some seriously geek roles in a lot of TV programs. I was an enormous Star Trek fan before I was cast in Next Generation. As Wellesley Crusher. Yeah, in you know what? I'm actually, I'm so much of a Star that's Trek That's where fan. I know you from! <laughs> oh! This now, was killing me. <laughs> now, aren't you glad that I didn't just tell you? Because I, I would have robbed you no, from I'm the like... joy of that discovery. I appreciate that. Thank You're you. welcome. Thank you. I remembered um, toy soldiers, and then it's sort of blank after. Yeah. <laughs> you in the entertainment industry until about 2006. Um, so, so Wellesley Crusher I, I, in, in I, Star Trek The Next Generation, TNG, if you're in the circle. Right. If you're very busy, you don't have time to say things like yeah. The Next Generation. <laughs> um, I'm such a big Star Trek fan that I noticed that your sideburns are actually pointing at Star Trek. He noticed! <laughs> I used to have 1970s mutton chop sideburns. They were in style at the time, okay? And then I, I transitioned, and I said my homage to Star Trek was to do the pointy... So, he so knows, when I was first person to ever notice that is right here to my right. Achievement unlocked. <laughs> so when I was a kid and I was working on Star Trek, uh, LeVar Burton and I were the only two original Next Gen cast members who were very proud out-of-the-closet Star Trek fans. Nobody else really knew the show like we did. I did things like when I was flying the spaceship, you know, like you do, uh, it was... <laughs> The buttons that we had didn't really do anything. It's it's what? kind of yeah I know well it's, really but I invented a series of buttons and the, this particular series made the ship go to warp speed. This particular series of, of buttons uh, put us into standard orbit. Nobody knew it. Nobody cared about it. But it was very important to me. Well, it probably showed in your face. Maybe like you're acting. You're like, yeah, oh. the Robert De Niro yeah. space shuttle button yeah. pushing. Yeah. yeah. I wrote a book about it uh, that nobody wanted to buy. <laughs> Wait, what's it? Uh, Memories of the Future? Memories of the Future, Volume 1, is a book that I wrote. Uh, Wait, is there a Volume 2? The Volume 2 is in the works. I was writing Volume 2, and then I started working all the time as an actor on The Big Bang Theory and Eureka and Leverage. Totally and, cool. That's, and we I, have that in common. I had a cameo on The Big Bang Theory. I know that you, you know did. that. They talk about you on the set. I was just Do there they? last week. You, in, another, in another episode. In another episode. It'll air in, in, in like two or three I weeks. I played myself. So do I. <laughs> how, except, e how evil wait, are you? Except you play a real dick on the show. I do. And it, isn't, it, isn't it like the Will Wheaton... It's Wheaton's Law. Wheaton's Law, don't be a dick? 
It is. Okay. So, however, so in you the somehow... universe of the Big Bang Theory, Will Wheaton is evil. Oh, so it's your evil other person? Yes. Oh. Yes. We look exactly the same. We sound exactly the same. You're just the evil one. Only uh, he is the evil twin. Now, here's the problem. I'm not an actor, so I had to give them, have, them, have them give me lines that I would have spoken at some time in my life. Oh, so you got to say all the crazy technobabble physics stuff that kicked my ass when I was doing Star Trek. <laughs> no, no, it was simpler than that. I said I was kind of deep in the Pluto situation, yes. so any sentence that had Pluto in it, I'm good for it. So I got into a kerfuffle with Sheldon about yeah. Pluto. Because he, he still wanted Pluto to be a planet, and I just, you know, that's not happening here. All right? the, the, the Pluto situation sounds to me like the title of, like, a segment in a Tarantino film. Did no, you... Here we go. Wait, wait, wait. We're in the, in the Neptune theater? Yeah. May I? So... This theater actually spins the other way, right? <laughs> so, first of all, Pluto is so misbehaved, it crosses the orbit of Neptune. In such a way that between 1979 and 1999, Pluto was closer to the sun than Neptune was. That's just no kind of behavior for a planet. <laughs> Second, if Neptune were a Chevy Impala. Not this analogy I am, again. I am, I am really liking where this is going. So if Neptune is a Chevy Impala, Pluto is to Neptune as what car is to a Chevy Impala. Like, would it be like a Mini Cooper? Would it be, what's that little itty-bitty? Like a smart car? The smart car? No! Neptune is to Pluto as a Chevy Impala is to a matchbox car sitting on the curb. Now, that's just embarrassing. Wait, that's no, all. No, that's just embarrassing, that analogy I made up. <laughs> I, so, I, so I am embarrassed for the thing that turned out not so good, in my estimation. I, I'm so embarrassed. Like for Pluto. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're continuing the broadcast of our live show at the Neptune Theater in Seattle, recorded on March 30th, 2012. Along with my comedic co-host, Eugene Merman. Joining me on stage that night were his fellow comedians, Kristen Schaal and Paul F. Tompkins, as well as the actor, Will Wheaton. Let's get back to the deck of the Enterprise. Okay. Okay. There's all this technology there. I know yeah. it's fake technology, but right. it's still technology we can think about. Yeah. So I remember the original thinking, could that happen or could it not happen? And I'm thinking, all right, they got this thing that makes food hot real quick. Okay, maybe that'll happen <laughs> one day. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't remember any scenes of the original Star Trek where they just heated up food. No, there is. What? There's a... There's a but they would, like, it would food make would food. It would materialize yes. hot. <laughs> that is different it wasn't from like, just being... Computer, uh, set pot pie to warmer than now. <laughs> they clearly the... never watched the third season of the original Star Trek. Of all the technologies with the tricorder and right. the communicator... The one that I said this will never happen in 500 years was where the doors opened up just by walking in front of it. It's like, no, that'll never happen. That's how old I am. I there was a day when doors did not open for you when you approached them. Patrick Stewart and I did a scene once in Next Generation where Picard and Wesley are going wait, wait, I gotta to... Ask, why did he have a French name and he spoke with a British accent? Jean-Luc well, Picard and he speaks Brit. 
Right. Well, probably because sometime between now and then, Britain probably just storms across the channel and oh. occupies France. But you think yeah. they built the channel for convenience? <laughs> so Patrick and I did this scene once where we're on a star base, and I think Wesley's going to have his artificial heart replaced. Okay. So they had built this set that had this glass door, just a, a regular door with a handle on it. And we walked up to it and I said to Patrick, Wesley has never experienced a door that doesn't just open for him. <laughs> so let's do this thing when they're rolling where we'll walk up and I'll just stop there and look at it. Like, what the hell is going on? What do you on? do with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then he was like, oh, and then I'll look at you like, oh, kids. And then I'll push the door open and go through. <laughs> and we did it and it made it into the episode. <laughs> So we're doing like this kind of schlocky physical comedy bit on Star Trek, and I guess we just snuck it through. We now and then I think it, it maybe needed it. Well, because our science was airtight. <laughs> so I, I got my list here. So we had the warp drive. You need that, of course. Right, yeah. Because here's the galaxy, and you're on one side of the galaxy, you want to get to the other. In case you didn't know, the diameter of the Milky Way galaxy is 100,000 light years. So traveling at the speed of light, if you watched a ship do that, it would take 100,000 years. So they invoked the warp drive. And 100,000 years is equal to one light year? Or... No, 100,000 light, light years year? is 100,000 light years. Well, how long is a light year? Uh, so a light year is a distance. And how far is that? It is 5.8 trillion miles. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, good. <laughs> so, 5.8 trillion times 100,000, that's how many miles that is. Okay. Okay, so now. Put that in would the take years. <laughs> it's right. It's okay. We can give it more power. <laughs> that's exactly right. So you warp space, so where you are gets closer to where you're trying to go, and then you go through a little wormhole, you unwarp space, and there you are. And you got there during the TV commercial. That's how that works, right? So warp drives, I'm cool with that. Tell me about Captain Kirk. Yeah. He had a way with the alien ladies. He most certainly did. And why would first the aliens be female, right? I mean, right. there's life on Earth that is non-gender, and he's yes. going to another planet and there's gender. Right. And then he, yeah, why doesn't he have sex with gender-neutral like piles of alien goo? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a very intriguing yeah. exploration. <laughs> well, actually, in the uh, classic Star Trek episode, Devil in the Dark, no one ever really explains how that Horda became pregnant. Oh, the Horda. That was that life form based Silicon-based life Silicon-based life. Right. Silicon, directly below carbon on the periodic table. So they were boning... Right? Uh, Ooh la la. No, no, no. No, they don't bone with each other. Oh. They each bone with the same other elements. Oh, so they have an understanding. They have a total understanding. Open I element see. bone. So, right. So, it was a pregnant silicon-based right. life. Yeah. yeah so, so and you'll it, notice that its little babies didn't have any hair, just like William Shatner. Ooh. <laughs> so, the point is, we are carbon-based chemistry. And in principle, you can create life such as we based on any element in that column on the periodic table. You know, one of my favorite sci-fi novels ever is Larry Niven's Ring World. And it is one of the books that really helped me understand that I was totally different from everybody else that I knew, that I was really nerdy, that I really loved science, that this imagined world was more interesting than my own. And what really blew me away about that was just the scope of the ring world itself and how it stays in place and all of those things. And, and I know it's unstable. I'm getting there. And, 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 
and someone so, in the audience said it's unstable. Wow. Yeah, so that so well, you guys have a science fact, please don't <laughs> keep it down. So, so, yeah, so, so there's nothing more entertaining to the non-geek than watching geeks argue over non-existent <laughs> future worlds. I right. liked how so, this guy was trying to head it off because, as if Will was going to say, so we should do that. Right. <laughs> we should make it a reality. I'm just so, stuck on the fact that we glossed over, so you'll take a space and you'll flip it over like a tortilla and you'll get there. I'm cool with that. I'm not. What kind of energy are they using to take all of space and put it into a bowl and just flip over? Can you explain it with a different ethnic food? <laughs> she doesn't like Mexican. What? So okay, anyway, in, wait, wait, listen, it takes an enormous amount of energy to do that. Okay. Maybe the energy of all of the stars in the known universe? Approximately that, actually. Lucky so, guess. Good guess, yeah. <laughs> So anyway, so, so you got a different, so, so, a different so, world. Right, so Niven's going to conventions and he's speaking about Ringworld and people in the audience are shouting out, the Ringworld is unstable. So he writes a second book called Ringworld Engineers where he goes to repair the Ringworld because that's a good way to spend your time. And in that book, there's all this interspecial sex. And it's the way that they consummate a deal by engaging in this interspecial sex. But does that lead to offspring? Uh, I don't think Donkeys. it does. No, I don't. I don't think it does. Well, that would be mules. Mules. Well, I what think. about STDs? Well, <laughs> space some, TDs. Some some people think that that's actually how Rick Santorum was formed. <laughs> Un- unfortunately, due to his antipathy to science, we haven't been able to actually test. Right. So, Kristen, there's actually a point of history about STDs, if I may. Please. Okay. I was going to say, Neil, what do you know about STD? (laughs) Stop asking permission. So so if you are of a planet, if you're from Earth, you're Earthling. Mars, you're Martian. If you're Jupiter, you're Jovian. Actually, on a show the other day, I said Jupiterian. It was more fun to say that, but it's officially Jovian. So here's the thing. This is what the astronomers came up with to call what you are if you're from these planets. The problem is the planet names are Roman, So the genitive form of those words for Venus would not give you Venusian, it would give you venereal. (laughs) And the medical doctors got to that word before we did because they found a disease peculiar to lovemaking and what god of the planets is of lovemaking and beauty and all that. I know this, it's Venus. It's Venus. So Venus. And so it's not sex Hermes? <laughs> sex, sex Hermes. So when the astronomer said, how are we going to name these Wrath plants? Of the Titans. <laughs> so this was like, this was their sort of quaint Downton Abbeyan way of <laughs> talking about STDs. Well, yes. Yeah, so they got the word before we, because they isolated STDs before we started thinking about aliens from these planets. And so when we said, we, if we're going to call someone from Venus venereal, that just doesn't work. So we invented this new name, Venusians. So now you have interspecies sex. Do we answer? Did they have STDs? Well, you know, I don't know. It wasn't Maybe covered that, in the but book. No, well, but, but actually, but too, they, in Ringworld, they don't. But I mean, that's sort of... Ringworld sounds like an STD right there. Well, it is. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it is unstable, as we heard. <laughs> I guess, but like, you raise an interesting point. Like, how did Captain Kirk's dick not f- just fall off? <laughs> I guess that conversation took place between the scenes. Like that was. It's like, one of the, oh, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa! Before we do this, yeah, 
I do have to know. <laughs> will you disintegrate my dick? <laughs> <laughs> and Will, that was probably some acting work he was doing in his face. Right. right. Yeah. I moved my dick, yeah. but it's worth it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The hot blue babes. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Hey, Mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help. And yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Our live show at the Neptune Theater in Seattle continues with Eugene Merman, Kristen Schaal, Paul F. Tompkins, and Will Wheaton. You can also watch a video of this show on the Google YouTube Nerdist channel. Check out our website for more details at StarTalkRadio.net. So tell me about the holodeck. I didn't see every episode. Did you ever get to go on the holodeck? I did. I spent a great deal of time. I was actually in the holodeck on the pilot. And what were you imagining for your own world? In the pilot of well, well, the holodeck is a room you go into and live out all of your fantasies, right? Right. It's sort of like the internet. Um, but real. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, the idea was that the galaxy-class starships in Next Generation would go farther and they would be out in space longer than the Constitution-class ships in the original Star Trek series. So in order to keep people from, like, uh, you know, uh, going... Killing uh, everyone. Yeah, that. They did a couple of things. They put families on the ship so that people could be with their families, which is a super great idea when you're sending a thing out into unknown space where you're definitely going to be involved in wars and things. And then they built these holodecks that would let people go and sort of escape the drudgery of being on a starship. The problem with that is that the holodecks constantly malfunctioned. This imaginary were, thing called the holodeck malfunctioned. Was, yeah, it turned into but, a plot But since device. it's imaginary, they could have just not made it malfunction. It, it would be funny right. if in the first episode of Star Trek, they all went into space with their families, and all the families died right away. I mean, I guess it's good that that didn't happen. Right. I would 
think that the holodeck would be really addictive too. Like, how do you keep people there was out actually, of the holodeck? There was, I'd be in there the whole time. Yeah, and like, the worst job on the spaceship is the guy that has to go in and mop up the holodeck. That's the worst. So they, they got um, the UV light, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. boy. But it's a great idea. And right now I'm voicing an audiobook called Masters of Doom. And it's about John Romero and John Carmack, the guys that invented Wolfenstein 3D and then Doom and then Quake. And it was the holodeck on Next Generation that was really driving Carmack to program 386 computers to do really incredible, technologically so astounding Star things. Star Trek is influencing the creativity of video engineers. Yes, and if you assume that next generation exists at a point in the future of our timeline, it creates this interesting paradox that people are watching Star Trek and then developing technology that was inspired by Star Trek that then Star Trek uses. So one of my favorite devices on the deck was the visor that Geordi wore. Yeah, sure. Did that have an official name? It was just the visor, and visor's an acronym, but I don't remember what it stands for. Does anybody in the audience know what it stands for? He's got to be vision. Visual, independent, surreal, or (laughs) or reality. Yeah. Oh, that's actually, that's right. I love any acronym that includes or. Yeah. (laughs) We haven't nailed this down, but we need to call it something. So here's the thing. In astrophysics, we basically have that but you don't wear it, right? So there's visible light, and we used to only build telescopes that viewed visible light in the universe. Fools. And then we said, yeah, we're empowered by these telescopes. And then we discovered, wait a minute, there's this thing called infrared, which sits right on the other side of red, and something called ultraviolet, which sits beyond violet. And so then we built telescopes sensitive in those reach, and the universe is doing something else. We look in the same spot. And it's something else happening there. In fact, with ultraviolet telescopes, we discovered black holes. And so then we said, what's beyond ultraviolet? Then you find x-rays. There's x-ray things going on in the universe. And then on the other side of the infrared, there's microwaves, and then radio waves, and then gamma rays. And the whole electromagnetic spectrum is talking to us from the universe. And we've got a telescope lined up in every band. You're walking a fine line towards conspiracy theory, but I believe you. One of the things that I loved about Gene Roddenberry, the creator uh, of Star Trek, Trek, he was a good friend of mine when we were working on the show and was sort of a mentor to me. And the secular humanism of Star Trek informed 100% of my morality and my worldview. And One uh, one of the great features of the show was the storytelling captured social cultural issues. In a way where, oh, it's just science fiction, but in fact, it was pointing directly back to us. And what you were saying about like all those telescopes that we've made and the things that we can observe in the universe, I've done a, a number of educational short videos for the Spitzer Space Telescope program at Caltech, and it's awesome. The things that that telescope can see are mind-blowing. And when Spitzer you're talking about that... Spitzer Telescope is tuned for the infrared, so a whole telescope orbiting like Hubble is orbiting, except it's checking the universe out in infrared, which enables you to see deep into otherwise opaque gas clouds revealing the birth of stars and planets within. So, wear a robe around the house. (laughs) (laughs) So, when we talk about those things that we have done, the things that science has done, those things that human beings have done just through the application of knowledge, I think, fuck yeah, we did that! 
We, we sat down as a species and we decided we want to know these things. We want to understand these things and we will develop and build instruments that let us do that. And one of the things Gene Roddenberry used to say was there is no limit to what mankind can do when we just sort of work together. And the only time I ever saw Gene get angry, we were at a convention and someone was going on and on about the face on Mars and pyramids on Mars and, and just a bunch of stuff that was like pseudoscience and aliens came to Earth and aliens built the pyramids. And Gene was like, no, they didn't. Human beings built the pyramids. We did that. And he was incensed. Well, so he missed an opportunity. What he should have said was, the fact that some members of the human species look upon their pyramids and are so awestruck by them that they cannot even believe that it is a product of our own species is that much more of a testament to how brilliant the human mind can be. I still find it difficult to believe that that pot that you can drain pasta through, that that was a human being <laughs> that came up with that. It wasn't even on Star Trek. They just out of nowhere. <laughs> Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're continuing the broadcast of our live show at the Neptune Theater in Seattle recorded on March 30th, 2012. Along with my comedic co-host, Eugene Merman. Joining me on stage that night were his fellow comedians, Kristen Schaal and Paul F. Tompkins, as well as the actor, Will Wheaton. The cloaking device. A couple of comments about that, if I may. No, let's move on. (laughs) I'll allow it. You are invisible if the band of light you use to observe it passes through it. So windows are cloaking devices for visible light. If you shine visible light in a window, it goes through. So you don't see the window. You see what's on the other side of the window. But also you can see windows. (laughs) I know that no one ever contests you, but I can totally see windows. I saw one today. Yeah. My hotel room... Window City. I was on a plane. It was full of windows. (laughs) Gene, uh, Eugene, clean your windows, and then maybe what I said will apply. Oh! Snap! I will clean my hotel windows, and then go downstairs to the front desk and be like, you can't see my windows! Because I cleaned them too much! Someone's stolen my windows. (laughs) Here's the thing. This space... The walls are transparent to radio waves, and that's why you can like, have radio reception, even microwave reception. And so one way to cloak is to use a beam that goes right through you, okay? So that's one way. Another way to cloak is they found a way to have the light transmit a path around the object and then continue out the other side. And so that way, if you can do that for all beams of light, then you could be invisible to any way they try to detect you. Sounds like it could get kind of hot. Uh, No, actually, it'd be kind of cool because you feel warm by absorbing energy from light that hits your body. That's why it always feels warmer in the sunlight, even though the air temperature is the same as it was in the shade. The shade is not cooler in air temperature than standing in sunlight. So stop saying that. (laughs) So what happens is you step out of the shade into sunlight and your skin absorbs radiant energy from that source of light we call the sun. 
And that way you have two sources of energy into you, the vibration of the molecules of the air as well as the sunlight. And air is transparent to sunlight. That's why you can see the sun in the daytime. So the sun is cloaking the air? Yes, very good. In fact, Kristen, if no one told you, why would you even think there was anything between you and the audience right now? They're right there. I can what are you talking? Are you high? No. <laughs> you went from so much science to like, who knows where we all are now? What I'm, if I'm, I'm you saying. and red is green? <laughs> Air is transparent to visible light. It is not transparent to ultraviolet light, which is why when we first detected ultraviolet light, we needed to put a telescope above Earth's atmosphere, and we would not have known about black holes until we put the ultraviolet and X-ray telescopes above the atmosphere. That's all I'm saying. Is black holes the best name they could have come up with? <laughs> it's a really awesome name. Because if it's a hole in the ground and you fall in, yeah, sure. a, a black hole, it's a three-dimensional hole. Mm -hmm. You fall in from any direction you approach it. Fact one. So that's an awesome hole. Fact Look, two. I am not trying to denigrate the holes themselves. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I let ultraviolet slide. That was definitely a lazy, like infrared sounds really cool. And then it's like, it's so violet. It's like ultraviolet. <laughs> Let's watch the Big Lebowski again. <laughs> well, just so you know, the way we looked at the visible spectrum, we ordered the light. Isaac Newton, my man, first did this. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue. Indigo, violet, okay? What are you mad that indigo's left out all the time? Yeah, no, no, because indigo doesn't belong there. All right, Isaac Newton had a mystical fascination with the numeral seven, and he counted six colors. He said, I need a seventh one somewhere. Let's put in indigo. If you're gonna put in indigo, there are 12 other colors you can put in there, because the colors change continuously. Well, if he's your man, let indigo be his muse. Oh, I like that. Okay. So he's got the seven colors. So we order them, red at the bottom, violet at the top. It's quite an arbitrary notion to order them that way. It's an increasing energy, it is. But when you go beyond the violet, it's ultraviolet. When you go below the red, it's infrared. You guys feel so dumb right now. <laughs> I still don't like it. I still don't like it. So, so if you leave the edges of Seattle, you go to Ultra Seattle. <laughs> the closer to Pike Place Market is in front. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Our live show at the Neptune Theater in Seattle continues with Eugene Merman, Kristen Schaal, Paul F. Tompkins, and Will Wheaton. Can I tell you how infrared was discovered? Kristen? Yes, you may. Okay. No, so- let me. When Aerosmith first formed, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I got this. Okay, you take over now. All right, so Isaac Newton asked himself, he was the first to pass white light through a prism, got the colors, put the colors back through a prism, and got white light again to show that white light is composed of these seven colors. All right, he asked himself, could there be more light beyond the edges of these seven colors? Later, research would be done to find out whether the colors have different temperatures. And so, a thermometer was put in each color. Now, when how, you're doing a... How? Pr- huh? Just yeah, you oh, no, said so, it normal, but... It's- the thermometer juice is red. Is that going to be an issue? That's right. <laughs> so, you got your colors laid out, and you just lay a thermometer in the colors that came through the spectrum. Okay, no big so, deal. So, it's no biggie. Right. So, what the experiment does was, as you may remember from your, like science class. They don't. You, you, you need... You also, need, I like how dismissively he said science class. Like, you know that so there were different ones. Your, your mere mortal science classes. <laughs> so you put a thermometer outside of the seven colors. You put a thermometer that is not exposed to any color at all. That's your control thermometer. You mean in black, which is all color? Oh, wait, never mind. No, right, right. So what That's happened right. was that thermometer registered the highest temperature of them all. That thermometer discovered infrared light. And is that thermometer on a stamp? No. (laughs) But Elvis is. (laughs) To be fair, Elvis discovered green. One last thing here. You know what? I like that medical scanner. That was good. You just wave the wand and you just know know everything. Yeah. Without cutting you open. Right. We need that. Yeah. You know, the guy that invented the MRI invented the MRI because of the device that he watched the original Star Trek, and he watched Dr. McCoy sort of scan around on a thing, and he thought, we should do that. There should be a way that we can see inside people's bodies without having to cut them open. So here's the thing. The physical principle is nuclear magnetic resonance, but that term has one of the two famous N-words in it. And so you, to bring that technology into the hospital, people fear that N-word. And so they excised it from the name, came up with a new one. So it's magnetic resonance imaging, but it is so nuclear magnetic resonance. I'm just letting you know that, right? And so you send a strong magnetic field across the nucleus of an atom and the nucleus aligns. Then you can image what the different alignments are depending on the mass of the nucleus. And so you can see where different elements are inside your body without cutting you open. It's a brilliant device invented by a physicist who, by the way, had no specific interest in medicine. Happened to have been a a physics professor of mine in college, just by coincidence. My point is, there are people who say, I want- that was your science class. (laughs) It was my science class, right. 
So he won the Nobel Prize for that. My point there is that people say, I want to live healthy, let's fund medical research. Wait a minute, every device in a hospital with an on-off switch that diagnoses the condition of your body without cutting you open. You're making me nervous about my health oh, right sorry, now. Oh, sorry, <laughs> Every one of those machines is based on a principle of physics discovered by a physicist who had no interest in medicine. And it took the medical technologist <laughs> to say, hey. You're dude, like, people should give me the money and I promise <laughs> to invent a thing for them of no specific description yet. You know, one of the really cool things about that... One of the really great things about the design of the computers on Next Generation, and specifically the tricorders, uh, Michael Kuder and Rick Sternbach are, were the guys that designed all of these things. And Mike had this idea in 1987 that eventually computers were going to be sort of operating system independent. And, and you would come up to a computer and the computer would, one way or another, know what you wanted it to do. And the computer would reconfigure itself to serve that particular purpose. And that's the under... That's to the core, serve man. That's, yes. that's sort of the core philosophy of the LCARS system. And it's why every computer in the enterprise goes to red tube when Wesley walks by. But um, <laughs> they, uh, the medical tricorders on, on Next Generation, they were specifically designed so that the doctor could just sort of like, it's the coolest thing in the world, that the doctor just goes, what's wrong with this guy? Point, point, point. And then the thing says everything. But you've got to take that information to the ship's computer and then use the ship's computer to sort of interpret all that information. And some of my favorite fake computers on the Enterprise were those things in sickbay because of all the computers that we had, they were the ones that looked the most like real to me. And what is clear is that the most primitive thing today that the future will assess to be primitive is our hospitals. And right. evidence of that is you wouldn't be caught in 20-year-old hospital technology. The fact that the medical community says medical advances is so high and so great and we have come so far, the fact that they say that means they were not far yesterday. If you keep saying how far you've just come, it meant you're still improving, right? You're still not really there that's, yet. That's why I don't go to a doctor, I go to a physicist. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Star Talk Radio, funded in part by the National Science Foundation. There's much more of our show at the Neptune Theater in Seattle coming up. So check out our website for details about those shows and how you can also watch the video on the Nerdist TV channel. Until next time, I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson saying, keep looking up. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sometimes it takes a different approach. To help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. 
Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.